Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Derek. I, I don't know about you, but I needed uh, my heart to be uh, reset this morning. It's been a long week, uh, and so uh, it's really good to be with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, feel, I feel uh, refreshed already. So it's a privilege for me to be here and open up God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn uh, to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6, and uh, if, if you are astute and you notice that printed in the bulletin is something different, uh, I have asked Chris for the uh, permission to preach on something different than uh, the series that you're going through, uh, and so I would ask you to exercise gentleness uh, this morning to allow me to, to uh, preach on something that I've been working on recently, uh, and so... Uh, I appreciate your kindness and love and gentleness uh, and all the other fruit of the Spirit. So uh, Matthew 6 is our text. Uh, We'll be looking at uh, starting at verse 1. Before I get to that, I want to tell you a quick story. Um, I made the 10 o'clock news uh, for the first time in my life uh, a few years ago. It was in Tuscaloosa and it was not really the segment of the news that you uh, would like to be on normally. It was the Crime stop- Stoppers segment. Um, I had been asked to preach at RUF at Alabama, and uh, afterwards it was late at night, and I was driving back to Birmingham, and I decided that I was thirsty and I needed uh, something to drink. And so I was contemplating uh, a red Powerade or a purple Powerade, and uh, it sort of landed on red as I pulled into the Chevron right there on McFarland, right before you get on the interstate. And I walked into the the Chevron, and as soon as I walked in, um, I noticed the drinks were on the back wall, and so I was set on getting back to to make my selection. But there was a woman standing at the counter, and her face was ceiling white, and she had these big eyes that were staring at me saying, you shouldn't have come in here. And, and, And I didn't have time to process her face before I noticed another man standing in front of me with a hoodie on. And what I didn't realize was that this man actually had a gun in his hand and was pointing it at the lady by the counter. He immediately wheeled around, uh, and to my surprise, I was not expecting, uh, obviously, the gun, nor a a ninja mask uh, on his face. So here's this man in a hoodie with a ninja mask. It's been years, so you can laugh. It's fine. Um, He wheels around, and he points the gun at me. And so I did what any one of you would have done. I Jack Bauer training. I I hit him in the neck and stunned him and then pinned him to the ground. No, I I put my hands up like this and said, just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you say. And so I uh, he pointed the gun at me and he told me to to hand him my wallet. And so I threw him my wallet and he told me to go stand over by the counter. And then he just proceeds to just start yelling at us. Um, And he was not very kind. Uh, He was not very gentle. He was yelling uh, at us. And telling us that he was going to shoot us if we didn't throw him the squares. And so he kept yelling at me to throw him the squares. And so I had no idea what the squares were. So eventually I just yelled at him. I said, I don't know what the squares are. It was a very tense moment. And he started counting down. And he was telling me that he was going to shoot. And so um, three, two, and one. And and at that moment, you know, I guess my kids' weddings and, and everything was supposed to be flashing through my head. I'll be honest with you. The only thing at that moment I thought was, is if this guy shoots me in the back, it's going to hurt bad. So I'm standing there and he's and he's he's yelling at us to throw him the squares. He counts down from three. And right as he gets to one, the man behind the counter puts two packs of cigarettes on the counter. 
and I realize that that's what he means by the squares. And so I take the cigarettes and I throw them to this man and he runs out of the gas station and that was it. He, uh, that was all that he wanted. Um, what I wouldn't have given that night to have someone standing out the side of the Chevron saying, be careful, watch out, there's danger inside, don't go in there. But I was oblivious to what was inside, completely oblivious. In fact, I'm ashamed to say this, but uh, my students all, once they heard about this, they all went and Googled it. And, and you can actually see the video footage of me as this gas station is being robbed strolling into the gas station, just oblivious to the fact that this man is holding a gun out at the counter. And here I come in to get my Powerade. I mean, I look so silly. Um, If I had only known, if someone had just said, hey, watch out, danger. Um, In Matthew 6, Jesus is saying to you and me this morning, watch out. Be careful. There is a danger that is far more serious than a ninja masked robber with a gun and it is the spiritual danger of pride of doing the right thing for the wrong reason of patting yourself on the back when you start to actually follow what God wants you and expects you and I to follow and so in this text he says to you and I watch out be careful so let me read it for us. Uh, it's our custom uh, where I attend worship to stand when we read God's word. And we do that with the students at Birmingham Southern. So if you're able, please stand with me as I read God's word. Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful. Watch out. Do not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy. Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is God's word. You can have a seat. 
The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most famous sermon that's ever been preached in the world. It's three chapters in, in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 5, just to give you a bit of a context, Jesus lays out what I think is probably the clearest expression of what it means to be a Christian. If you just want to know what it looks like to follow after God, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 5, it is clear that Jesus expects you and I to live out our faith in front of people. He says he wants us to live out our faith in the public sphere, in the public arena. In verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. He wants us to be rubbed into, if you will, every part of society, every part of this city, this community, this world, to make it better. And then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. And he says, no one lights a lamp and then puts a bowl over it. He says, instead, let your light shine before men so that they will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So it's clear that he wants us to live out what it means to be a Christian out there in front of people. And then in chapter 6, he says to be careful not to live out your faith in front of people. So what's Jesus doing? I think that Jesus knows something about you and I that we tend to be oblivious to. And that is that there is something deep inside each one of us that as soon as we start to do something good, we mess it up by wanting to show off, by wanting to impress other people, by wanting to impress ourselves, by patting ourselves on the back. And Jesus wastes no time in his most famous sermon, right in the middle, to devote many verses to tell you and I this morning, watch out. What he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, I want you to follow me into your home. I want you to follow me into your neighborhood. I want you to follow me into your marriage. I want you to follow me into your schools. I want you to follow me into your workplace. And everywhere that you go, whether you're at work or at play, watch out for your tendency to want to impress other people. He says, watch out for the tendency when you start to do good to want to act or be a hypocrite or want to show off. He's saying, never do anything for show or to impress others. Uh, The famous book that we've all read, The Catcher in the Rye, uh, Salinger's uh, teenage main character, Holden Caulfield, he has this great quote where he says, if you do something good, then after a while, if you don't watch it, you start showing off and then you're not as good anymore. See, in in chapter five, Jesus warns you and I about all of our evil works, anger, murder, jealousy, revenge. He warns us about all those bad things. And then in chapter six, what's interesting is, is that Jesus warns us about All the good things that we do. And this is why the Sermon on the Mount is so exposing. It's because Jesus is saying it's not enough just to be aware of and to repent of the bad things. As my pastor likes to say, the nasty nine or the awful eight or the filthy five. It's not just enough to know to be aware of those things. We also have to actually be aware of the good things that we do. And we have to watch out for our tendency to want to do them in order to impress other people. There's something about our heart, and I hope you're following me at this point. There's something about us that as soon as we start to do good, we start to want to be impressed. We start to want to impress 
other people. Uh, besides Jesus, I would say Martin Luther was probably the most famous person to write about this. And his quote is this. The white devil of spiritual sin is far more dangerous than the black devil of carnal sin. For our righteousness can serve the most self-centered of all human desires, self-glorification. So in, in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, once you start practicing your deeds of righteousness, watch out. And he gives us three very practical examples of what he means by our deeds of righteousness. He, they are giving your money and your time away, praying, and fasting. And so just for a few brief moments, let's look at each one of what Jesus talks about. We're not going to cover everything in this text. There's a lot in 18 verses. But we're going to look at those three examples of righteousness, and we're going to look and see what Jesus says. So the first thing that Jesus says is, when you give to the needy, watch out for two things, blowing a trumpet and letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so the first thing I guess we have to ask is that Jesus says in this text, when you give. And so my question for us this morning is, do you give? Do you give your money and your resources and your time away. What Jesus wants us to know is that there's a rhythm to the Christian life. There's a rhythm to following after Christ in our life. And part of that rhythm is when you receive, you give part of it away. That's just what it means. It's supposed to be ingrained in us as Christians that when we receive, there's part of us that gives. And so Jesus assumes that we're doing that. And so I tell my college students all the time because I know the first thing that pops into their head is, well, I'm poor. I don't have anything. And I just say to them, you can start forming habits when you are 18 years old or when you are young of when you receive, you think you're, you, that you ought to give part of it away to help others. So the first question is, is that part of the rhythm of your life, giving your time, giving your resources Away. But the main point that Jesus is saying is that when you do give your money or when you do give your time or your resources, watch out for the impulse to blow a trumpet, to announce it to other people so that other people will notice what it is that you're doing. I have a two-year-old son named Thomas, and one of the things that we've discovered about Thomas is that when he's about to do something, he wants mom and dad to know that he's about to do something. And so he will sit there and tell us what it is that he's about to do. And he will wait until we acknowledge him before he does it. And we've learned this the hard way, but he gets louder and louder as his, he, he announcing what he's about to do. And he's just waiting for us to, to watch him, and then he does it. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning is, is that just like a two-year-old, even adults have a tendency to want other people to notice when they do things like give their money away. We have this tendency, this impulse inside of us, and it's really ugly to, be, to want to be noticed by other people. It's, we, we're seeking to externally justify ourselves. And Jesus flat out calls us actors. He calls us hypocrites. That's what that word hypocrite means, is actor. And Jesus says, yes, your reward, you may be rewarded by those around you, but that's where the reward is. Ends. And the second thing that Jesus says when you give your money away to watch out for is an internal justification. The way he puts it is, don't let your left hand 
know what your right hand is doing. And all he means by that is watch out for that voice that all of us know we have, that inside our head, that when we do give, we think, I'm not so bad after all. Or we think, why aren't other people doing this too? Well, why can't so-and-so give more? Or, you know, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's that internal justification that happens when we give that, that thinks those things. And Jesus just says flat out, watch out and be careful. So when you give, watch out for those two things. The second thing that Jesus talks about is when you pray. And he says it in verse 5. He says, when you pray, do not be like the actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be noticed by others. So, first question we have to ask ourselves is that Jesus says, when you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. And so, we have to ask the question, is praying a regular part of the rhythm of your life? Whether it's in the morning or throughout the day or at night time. But there is a rhythm to following God. And part of that rhythm includes regular times of prayer. And so my question for us this morning is, are we doing that? The main point, though, that Jesus is trying to get us to see is that when you do pray, watch out for the impulse inside of you to want other people to notice your prayers. Watch out and be careful. Jesus is saying that prayer is talking to God. Jesus wants us to hear this morning that prayer is, and I know we all know this, but just follow me for a second. Prayer is primarily talking to our Heavenly Father. But how many times when we do pray, especially when we're around other people, do we want other people to notice how we're praying? Do we use certain words that we think that they'll be impressed with? Do we use a certain tone of voice because we think it sounds more spiritual to use a certain tone of voice? We do this in worship all the time. We assume that there is a certain posture that we're supposed to take or there's a certain way that we're supposed to worship so that God or other people will notice. Another thing that we tend to do is that we tend to talk about other people in our prayers. When we're in a group setting, we tend to pray, oh, bless so-and-so, when in reality, all we're simply doing is gossiping about somebody else. Or, I will not leave myself out of this, preachers are really bad at this, but we preach sermons in prayers where, where, where we want other people to hear what we have to say, when in reality, Jesus says that prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to our Heavenly Father. It's meant to be addressed to God exclusively. Now let me just pause for a second and say, some of you may be thinking, well then should I even pray in groups at all? And I would say Jesus and other places in the Bible are very clear, yes. Group prayer is absolutely essential. Praying corporately on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study or with a small group of people or with one other person is absolutely essential and so good. But one commentary said when I was reading this, t- this passage that group prayer is good, but group prayer thrives where private prayer is alive. Group prayer thrives where private prayer is alive. And so Jesus is very practical, thankfully, and he gives us a very small step of obedience. And he says this. He says, 
go into your closet. That's what the word literally means. Uh, that Jesus is saying, literally, go into your closet, lock the door. In that day, the only room in a house that could lock was the supply closet. And so Jesus is saying, go into the closet, lock the door, get alone with your heavenly Father, and pray. I love this quote. It is no longer the holy of holies that is the special meeting place between God and the believer. It is the room with a lock. Of course we need to meet together regularly to pray. Of course we ought to pray in groups. But there is something unique, Jesus is saying, I think, about the nearness of God when we come to him alone and and commune with him by ourselves. And so then Jesus goes on in verse 7 to say, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Apparently in the pagan religions of that day, They assumed that the more words you could say, the more chances that the gods would hear you. They almost felt like they had to muster up a certain intensity or a certain amount of time of prayer before the gods would stoop down to hear their prayers. And if there's anything that we learn from the book of Hebrews, it's this. That God hears our prayers because of what Jesus has done and not because of anything that we could muster up, not because of some sort of intensity, not because of some sort of passion in our voice. It's because of what Christ has done on our behalf. It's almost as if God becomes this taskmaster and he's waiting for you and I to to do certain things before he can actually hear us. And Jesus wants you to hear this morning that's just not true. There are not certain words you need to use. There are not cert- there's not a certain uh, voice that you have to use when you pray. Imagine this. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf, our words enter the throne room of heaven when we pray. Somehow, mysteriously and supernaturally, and I cannot explain it, when you and I pray, our words actually enter the throne room of heaven because of what Christ has done for us. That's awesome. Jesus is trying to free us up to pray more, not less. And so what he does is is he gives us, he's very practical, he gives us a model. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he gives us a very succinct and very uh, foundational, very orthodox, very good prayer to follow. The Lord's Prayer. And there's all sorts of questions about whether or not we ought to say it out loud, whether we ought to recite it, or whether we shouldn't recite it out loud because it's, uh, it's just doing it for, for show or it's doing it just because we're just reciting something and the heart's not there. I'll be honest with you. In my opinion, I think that Jesus meant for us to say the Lord's Prayer at times. I don't think that it's wrong for us to recite the Lord's Prayer. I just think he, he, what he's saying is, is that this, the Lord's Prayer is a springboard to pray more. It's, it's almost a model to say, here's one example. Now use this and, and pray for more things. Use this to let your prayers go. Calvin said, the Lord's Prayer helps us when our ideas run out. I love that. The Lord's Prayer helps us when our ideas run out. So Jesus is saying, when you give your money and your time and your resources, watch out. And he's saying, when you pray, 
watch out. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus is saying, when you fast, verse 16, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. You know what I'm going to say. Jesus says, when you fast. So my question for us is, is there a is fasting a part of this of the disciplines of your Christian life? Have you even tried it? Have you considered trying it? Jesus is expecting us to include in some way fasting in the regular rhythm of what it means to live out the Christian life. And he's saying, when you do, don't walk around and look like you're hungry. Don't walk around and look like you're tired so that people might say, hey, what, what's wrong with you? Or, hey, can I get you something? Oh, no, no, I'm fasting. It, I, we, we do it. We do it in so many different ways. And Jesus says, please be careful for the impulse that is inside of our hearts to do that. He says, when you do it, don't make it obvious. Clean yourself up so that people will not know that you are fasting. Let me sum all this up. If there's something that I feel like Jesus is trying to say to you and I this morning, it's this. The point of Matthew 6 is not for you and I to keep your Christian life private. That's not what he's trying to say. And that's not what I want you to hear this morning. The point is not for you to keep your spiritual life private. The point is that a spiritual life that is public, but void of a vibrant private spiritual life, is very dangerous. Let me say that again. What I think Jesus wants you and I to hear this morning is that he wants us to have a public spiritual life. But a public spiritual Christian life that other people see and notice that is void of a vibrant private spiritual life is very dangerous. Jesus is not saying to you and to me, keep your Christian life close to the chest. He's not saying that. He's simply saying that your private spiritual life ought to drive your public spiritual life. And I will be honest with you. This has been a very hard week for me to prepare this. I'm a pastor. I have a very public spiritual life. And this is a very hard passage for me to handle. I'm extremely exposed when I read Matthew 6 because everybody sees my Christian spiritual life. And so I am driven back to the very first verse of the Sermon on the Mount, the very first beatitude, which is what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I am so thankful that Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount with blessed are the poor in spirit. Because what Jesus wants me to hear this morning, and he wants you to hear this morning, is that I'm assuming that you have all considered ways in which you want to be noticed when you live out the Christian life. And what Jesus wants you to hear is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who see that they cannot live according to the standard that is set out for us in Scripture. 
And you, like I, most likely, when you read this, although you, you haven't, I've been thinking about it all week, but, but Lord willing, maybe later today you'll, you'll let this sit for longer, and, and it might expose you. And when it does, you need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Another thing that I'm thankful for in this passage is that Jesus uses the word Father ten times. In 18 verses, Jesus uses the, the phrase Father ten times. Let me ask you a question. When you and I feel exposed and we feel like other people are about to figure out that we don't have it together, what do we do? On comes our mask. We put on a costume and we start to act, right? When it feels like people are about to notice that I don't have it together in my Christian life, what do I do? I put on a mask. I dress up in a costume, and I don't want other people to notice that I'm a failure, right? What is the one thing that's going to convince me to take my costume off? What's the one thing that's going to convince you to take that mask off? It is a it is an unswervable, undeniable belief that the other person or the other people around you are going to accept you no matter what, right? As a campus minister, I have the privilege to do a lot of weddings. And so therefore, I have the privilege to do a lot of premarital counseling. And one thing I've noticed in premarital counseling is, is that engaged couples still wear costumes. Engaged couples still wear masks. It's not until after they've been married for a significant amount of time that you actually notice that they begin to take their masks off. I, I'll, I'll be married next month for eight years. And I understand what it, what it takes to start to take the mask off. And what is it? It's an undeniable belief that the person next to me is going to love me and accept me for who I am, regardless of what they discover, right? Right? And that is why Jesus uses the phrase Father ten times in this passage, because he wants us to know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. He wants us to know the grace and mercy of God, that though we do not have it all together, it's very clear from Matthew 6 that none of us can do this perfectly. And yet, because of Jesus... God accepts us, and he loves us for who we are. And only that will, will allow us to begin to take our masks off. That's the only thing, the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because our resume looks like something other than Matthew 6. If, if we were to just sort of take the last week or the last year of our life and say, when I prayed, when I gave my money away, and when I fasted, how did I do? If we were to sort of just post our resume on monster.com, it would not look very good. But here's the good news. This is why Christianity, this is why we're here this morning, is because the good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus has taken his resume and has posted it and put our name on the top. That's good news. Jesus has taken everything that he has done in his life and in his death. And he has posted it onto our resume. And he has kept our name 
at the top. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And when you read Matthew 6 and like me, you think, I don't do that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I'm thankful for your Sermon on the Mount. I'm thankful, although it's hard at times to be exposed. I don't like to be exposed. I want people to think that I have it all together. But I know this morning that blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who admit that they need you, that they don't have it all together. Thank you for the grace and mercy that we see in the Sermon on the Mount and the grace and the mercy that we see in the death and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.